0: If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis three. Are we going back, preacher? Well, just for today, we're going to be good, right? The Bible has a great deal to say about justice. Sometimes we end up throwing that word around, not really com- or com- uh, excuse me comprehending the implications of why it is even a concept that must be adhered to or abided by. The role that emergency responders play is actually a God-given role, and my hopes is to prove that to you today from the Word, and also, if you do not have a deep appreciation, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you a profound appreciation because of everything that God has to say uh, about the role that these men and women play. Now, in Genesis 3, we ain't no dummies, right? So what's happened in this chapter? What's the big deal? What is it? Sin. Let's just be honest with it. S-I-N, big letters, neon sign, flashing on and off all the time. Sin has just entered into the human race. And how did this take place? Well, God said, you can do anything you want, but just don't do this one thing. And Adam, because of the influence of Satan on his family, said, yeah, you know what, I think we're okay with doing that. Uh, for some reason, God, I'm not totally convinced that what you're telling me is the truth, and I think actually that this opinion that's been introduced in is a greater truth than what you've told me. Does that sound weird? How many of us have ever made the prideful, boisterous mistake of saying, well, if I was Adam, this wouldn't have happened? Anybody? <laughs> Because we often do that with Peter in the Scriptures, don't we? What's wrong with him? Why is he so dumb? You know? i tell you why. Because he's just like me. That's the reason why. Because when I look at this, I think what bothers me is I don't want to admit that this is what I would have done in this given situation. Now, there's something interesting that takes place. Not only has sin entered the picture, but sin has to be dealt with, yes? And all sin deserves what? Death. What was the first death that took place in history, do we know? The animals. And who killed them? God did. Isn't that interesting? God, the very one who promises perfection and life and excellence and righteousness, is now in a situation where he is having to overextend himself, and this be an extension of his grace in order to restore a people who once had a right standing but forfeited it for a lie. And notice what this happens here. Go down to, let's see here, verse 21. Let's look at this incident. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So there's the death and there's the covering of their sin. Why? Because remember, the fig leaves they tried to bring into the mix, it didn't suffice, did it? You couldn't properly cover it. And look here, verse 22, Then the Lord God said, now watch this, Behold, the man has become like one of us, which is interesting, because weren't human beings created in the image and likeness of God? Absolutely. But now we've got something that God did not want for humanity, that humanity has introduced in, Of its own volition. And notice what it says it's become like one of us, knowing good and what? Now there's a difference. Now there's a dark and there's a light. Now there's a right and there's a wrong. There had always been a right and a wrong, but it wasn't something that God necessarily cared to have man worry about. Now they've become like us in knowing this. The problem is, is where God does not sin, human beings have the capacity to sin. And so watch what happens. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life. Now remember, there were two trees that were brought attention to, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the one that they pulled from and ate, correct? And then there's another tree that's sitting there called the tree of life which if you ate of it, you would live forever. Now watch this. Notice, he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And does everybody see that you have that long dash there? Everybody see that? In the Hebrew construction of this verse, that dash there means perish the thought. Don't think about this any further. Ramifications of such actions would be so horrible. Why? Because you and I would then be thrust into an existence where we would live eternally without the possibility of redemption. We would be eternally sinful. So God has to take action in order to prevent greater evil from occurring. And look what happens. Therefore, verse 23, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. He was banished from Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And watch this. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed a cherubim. Now, cherubim are not the cute little angels you see in the northern tissue commercials. That's not them. They wear clothes, and they have more than two wings, and they're full grown, and they will scare you to death. Okay? Okay. So he stations these specially ranked angels at the entrance to the garden, but that's not all, as if that wasn't scary enough. Anybody had your little kids get scared from Halloween stuff lately in the stores? Scary, Daddy, scary. Okay, we don't got to go that way, right? We're talking about this. Now watch this. He stationed the cherubim and, what is it? A flaming sword. And notice what it says about it. Which turned every which direction. Everybody got views of Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger doing that thing right there with the sword? I do. Okay, this is going to be a long day. Turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life, to prevent them from committing greater evil. In other words, God, in assessing the possibilities of evil that have now been introduced into the human race, is taking preventative, and don't miss it, guys, lethal, measures to keep them from committing greater sin the sword is a sign of lethal action in order to maintain order and justice and we're only three chapters into the bible everybody see the necessity for this Now back up and think about what God is saying. What if, let's think hypothetically for a second, what if Adam and Eve stroll in and they decide they're going to try to make one of those valiant runs towards the tree of life? What's going to happen to them? Right, they just got thrown into the ninja and gone. Puree, right? Done. Because God takes sin seriously. Sometimes we forget that. When we flippantly tell a lie to make ourselves look better, when we think, oh, everybody got your toes out today, when we think that somehow going over the speed limit, oh, see, don't go there, preacher, yes, going over the speed limit is somehow going to more efficiently structure our day when we're actually driving in disobedience, why? Because we've accepted the truth that that's better than what God, and yes, God, has set for the speed limit to be. Well, God made it too long. Well, pray about that. Whose heart needs to be changed in this matter? Sin is serious. And God has put restrainers on civilization in order to keep sin at bay. Why? Because you and I, given the possibility, whether it's out in the spotlight or or it's behind closed doors, have the capacity to be exceedingly sinful. Therefore, God has to do something. God has to take note. God has to get involved. So now let's turn over to Genesis 9. And I make no apologies for this statement, but Genesis 9 occurs right after the greatest execution because of law-breaking that had ever taken place in the world. I encourage you, if you have little books where the giraffe and the monkey and the koala bear are all hanging out the windows of the ark, and they're smiling at what a beautiful day it is, throw them away. That is not Noah's ark. Because when you look outside of Noah's ark, what you found were dead bodies by the millions floating on the top of the water. And why was that? We're actually told in Genesis 6, for God looked at the heart of man and saw that the intentions and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So what does God do? God schedules an execution. Why is that? Because he can't let sin go. Sin has to be dealt with. And when you have an entire world of people who have turned their back on God, his standards, his call to holiness, his righteousness, and how do they do that? Through their actions by committing evil all the time. What comes out here is simply a manifestation of what has already taken place here. In fact, our legal system has a term for that. It's called premeditated. Because why? We contemplate evil in our hearts. And so God has to deal with it. However, he did find one man to be righteous. And in His grace, He provided a way for him to come through that judgment and to be delivered safely on the other side. And so in chapter 9, look at verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, the fear of you and the terror of you, will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I love this verse because I love barbecue, okay? So it's a good verse. Praise the Lord. Amen, hallelujah. But I give all to you and as I gave the green plant. Now watch this, verse four. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, now watch this, that is its what? Blood. Blood equals life. This is important to see. Surely I will require your life blood from every beast, I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, now watch this, be be very clear about it. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For, here's the reason why. Notice it's not just a statement that floats out there. Here's what I love about God. God does not act like a parent in today's world. He doesn't say, well, if this happens, it's going to happen. And your your child says, what is the response of the child? Why, right? God never says, because I said so. He doesn't. He always gives you a solid answer. And what I love about it is where does he draw it from? Well, look what it says. For in the image of God, he made man. Now let's break this down so that we understand it. Watch very closely. Notice here that self-governance has been puttin', puttin', puttin'? (laughs) Puttin'? Are we having any puttin' today for the lunch? Notice... Hey, that's what happens when the Kentucky accent flies out there. I was educated. So, notice, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Governance, governance, governance? Why can't I talk today? Praise God. Self-governance. Am I saying that right? Thank you. Uh, I need one of you to put it in the microphone. Um <laughs> has been placed in humanity's hands. Govern yourself is the idea. And here's how you're to do it. If a beast or a man takes another man's life, they are to be put to death. We call that capital punishment. Capital punishment, not worried about whether you agree with it or not. I'm worried about what God says about it. You take a life, then justice is to be brought to the situation by a life being taken. In other words, because of the extension of sin and the exceeding sinfulness of which sin can be in our lives to where we would actually murder someone else, there is to be justice and lethal force that atones for that act. Does everybody see that? You may not agree with it, and that's okay, but pray about it and, and read this again. Notice what it says, for in the image of God he made man. Why is it so significant? God doesn't say a life for a life because I said so. He says it because he says we've missed the preciousness of how each individual human being was designed by God. They are all fit and designed into a mold, and they are significant. Why is that? Because it is the crowning point of God's creation over earth. I mean, isn't this what was handed down in Genesis? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have what? What would it say? Dominion. Who's asleep? Not today, man. Not today. We will have art, bring the cart down with the coffee, and gas you completely. No cup, just straight in the mouth. We have no problem with that. And have dominion. There is something about our place in creation And nothing else has been created in the image and likeness of God, and we were given a commissioning in order to have dominance over the rest of creation as the likeness of God and representatives who are answerable unto God. Therefore, when somebody's life is taken, their life is required. Why is that? Because when you're not considering the God given design of the preciousness of life and you are taking matters into your own hands, you have usurped. God's word. That's called sin. And it deserves death. Now here's an interesting passage, Exodus 20. Turn over to Exodus 20. What is Exodus 20? Do we know? The Ten Commandments. Israel, having been, been set free from an oppressive situation, they apply the blood, death passes over, they are set free. And it is only after the application of the blood and the being set free and let out of bondage are they then given instruction how to live. Now here's what's incredible, okay? It is incredible to think that one of the first things that God understands needs to happen is there needs to be some structures and boundaries put on a group of people. Anybody ever just let your kid run wild? You ever been in Target and they're like, "I want that." And if you ever stopped for a moment and said, "You know what? How about I provoke and antagonize them a little bit? Feed them about 20 skittles. Unbuckle them from the cart and just let them go." And when everybody's looking at me while well, I'm not doing anything with kid or with the kid, I can just say, "That's not mine." <laughs> and just see what happens has anybody ever done that no (laughs) why because that's crazy pants if you do that you woke up and put on your crazy pants because there is something within all of us that says what do we say that's not right There's something about that situation that needs boundaries and restraint. Regardless if someone knows the Lord or not, there is something that has been woven within us that testifies to the need of restraint and boundaries an expectation that is laid upon people. Yes? Would you agree? Yeah. So here's the thing. Since we're not having Sunday school today, and since I'm having a lot of trouble reading that clock, let's just be honest. I know what you're thinking. We switched out clocks so you wouldn't preach a long time. Fools. But no, it's important, because sometimes this never happens with a lot of congregations. There are boundaries. There are boundaries. There are boundaries. And justice. Man. Kevin talked to me after the service. Um, you're right, there are boundaries, Kevin, and I have the microphone, so there it is. I'm just kidding. So let's do this, because a lot of times this doesn't happen. A lot of times uh, we don't read through the law and maybe really consider what's going on. If you've been to the Deuteronomy class, we've done that. But let's read through and just see, okay? Chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. Now, stop. Who spoke? God did. God is speaking. It's not, hey, Moses, tell everybody this. No, God says, I'm going to address this personally. And it's great because check out what's going to happen here, okay? Uh, I, I, I think Congress has a lot to learn from this passage. And here's the reason why God is going to govern the affairs of an entire society with only 10 points. That's a short PowerPoint presentation. You see what I'm saying? This is really good stuff, okay? So watch, verse two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Number one, you shall not have, sorry, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and to keep my commandments. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the commandments turn to how we operate with one another. Look at verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Number six, verse 13, you shall not murder. Number seven, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, verse 15, you shall not steal. Number nine, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not, uh, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now here's why this is interesting. Because no one else in society at that time operated like this. Everybody was doing everything but these ten things. They were worshiping many gods. They were making many idols. They were blaspheming God's name. They were stealing what was not theirs. They were desiring the things that were not provided to them. They were committing adultery and murder, and no one had put a tamper on their societies. So the very implications of this are twofold. Number one, morals and ethics exist in a definite form. And notice that it was so important that God took the initiative to speak it himself. God said, let me take this one here. I will make it clear. The second implication is, is that this is what set Israel apart from everyone around them. You want to talk about an amazing witnessing tool to God Most High? Simply obeying the laws of your land speaks volumes beyond what everybody else is doing. Period. Everybody see that? pretty crystal clear yes some of you fell asleep okay Deuteronomy 4 let's prove this turn over to Deuteronomy 4 this is the second generation getting ready to come into the promised land thank you you know I'm really sad Tom wasn't here this morning I was actually going to see if I could get Chief Manthe to arrest him so everybody could see what it looks like (laughs) just get him down on the ground. I figured he would, you know, that would serve really his usefulness here. That would be great. I'd be like, can you show me what it looks like when you give him mace? (laughs) Can you you show me what it looks like when you use a baton? I mean, I want to see that stuff. And I know Tom wants to be a willing servant of the Lord, so we're good. But he's not here. Maybe we could send you to his house. I don't know. We'll talk later. Deuteronomy 4. Look at verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. Now watch this. So keep and do them for that is your wisdom and your understanding. It's what makes you smart in how you control and conduct yourself. Watch this. In the sight of the peoples, notice it's a witness, who will hear all these statutes and say, now watch, this is the response of pagan nations looking at Israel when they abide by the Ten Commandments. And look what they say here. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous As this whole law, which I am setting before you today. Did it make a difference beyond, well, God's trying to take my fun. He doesn't want me to do this. Yes? Does it serve as a bright light to the people who are living in a contrary manner? Does it not yield blessing? It does. Isn't this interesting? I hope you think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. Now, let's help everybody wipe their brow and turn over to the New Testament. Romans 13. If we see that lethal force is instituted in order to restrain evil, if we understand that laws are given to govern societies because, good grief, we need it, if we see that laws are shining a light on what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, that these matters become more than just, that's just your opinion about it, but that there have been definite boundaries that have been laid down. It's no different for right here and for right now for the New Testament Christian. In fact, the New Testament Christian should be a shining example of what it is to be a model citizen. There are no apologies that need to be made for them. Chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans. Every person is to be in, what's the word? Subjection to the governing authorities. Now stop right there. Notice every person kind of eliminates the wiggle room, right? We're always looking for the loophole out. No, this is every one of us. But everybody see this word? Subjection. Everybody see it? It is the Greek word hupotasso. It's the idea of voluntarily placing yourself under the authority structure of another. It is giving a direction to go. In fact, it's the same word that is used whenever it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. It's the same idea. The idea of submission, hupotasso. It's the idea of saying, here is the direction that you need to go take yourself and voluntarily place yourself under the headship of another. So every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Now, good gravy, there's a lot here. Number one, does anybody know who wrote Romans? Paul. Paul. And he wrote it sometime in 60 A.D. In fact, his death was believed to happen around 68 A.D. And he died of beheading. Who ruled Rome at that time? Do we know? Nero. Anybody heard anything good about Nero ever? No. In fact, we would probably go as far as to say he's a tyrant, right? I mean, didn't he set Rome on fire? And then he was also a fiddle player, which means he probably came from somewhere in Kentucky, right? But not only that, he would also take Christians because of his hatred for them and tie them to stakes in his courtyard, tar them, and set them on fire to light his dining festivities. Not somebody you want to have over for brunch. He's an evil man. Yet, in the midst of this type of forceful persecution against the church at this time, Paul has the audacity to put pen to parchment and actually write something like, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Does anybody mind if I assert my political opinion for a moment? You got the mic. (laughs) We knew it was going to happen at some point. I'm so tired of hearing people hate our president regardless if you agree with him or not. Here's the reason why. Your calling wasn't to agree or disagree with him. It's not what your calling is. Your calling is to pray for him, as well as everybody else in authority, and to put yourself in voluntary subjection to his leadership. In fact, we would make a case from the Bible that only in instances where we are called to disobey our Lord Those are the only acceptable instances in God's eyes to where we should stray from those authorities. In fact, isn't that what Peter and John said? Judge for yourselves whether it's right that we don't talk about Jesus. As for us, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We'll keep preaching Jesus, period. There's no law that can come against that. And if that's going to be the stance of rebellion, as far as what Christians are concerned with, then guess what? That's the only one. Everything else that we are told in Scripture is to be in willful and joyful compliance. Now, why is that? Well, look at the rest of the verse. For, there's your connection right there, there is no authority except from God. The leaders that we have, the men and women that watch over us, they've been put there by God. How do you know this? Even if you didn't have the Bible, how do you know that something extra has happened in the situation? Here's the reason why. Because being an EMT worker, which by the way, they're out in the lobby here with us today, and they've parked out front, being someone that is involved with the fire department, being someone who's a police officer, that's not a job. It's a calling. And in fact, one of the things that you see very quickly is the people who view it as a job, they don't last long. The people who understand that they have been called to that, those are the ones that stick in there and go the extra mile. Those are the ones who don't just perform, but perform well. They understand that excellence is the only option. Why? Because lives are at stake. Because we don't know the further ramifications that could come out of something as simple as our beloved sin of speeding. It could lead to so much more. But here's one thing we know. From God's perspective, they're not where they're at because they sat down one day and said, hey, I think this will be a good idea. No. God, in his orchestration of history and society, has placed within their hearts the desire to be there and to do this. There's no one in an authority except that God has placed them there. The Bible's very clear. It says here, and those which exist are established by God now I had a really great note on this but my handwriting I can't read it so we're going to move on verse 2 therefore because of that because God has placed them in the position that they are now watch this because here's the negative therefore whoever resists authority now this is interesting everybody see this word resist if you got your pen out this is one of those click the pen and write it moments Whereas we saw the word up in verse 1 is subjection is hupotasso to place yourself voluntarily under the authority of another what's interesting about this word resist is the word antitasso which anti means what against or no none of it right but the idea of tasso coming into order of something And it was actually a military term that was often used, it has a wide semantic meaning, but it had often use of how military soldiers line up in a certain formation in order to perform a duty, is the idea. It is against order. That's the idea. It is railing against authority. In other words, revolution really has no place in a society if you're someone who knows God the Creator. There's no acceptable reason for it. Now watch this. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. In other words, what God said became a secondary truth, with the first truth being what I felt I needed to do or what I wanted to do. For some reason, my opinion was greater than what God had to say. Does that sound like anything that we saw in Genesis 3? It sounds exactly like it. Or we would say it maybe in this way. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Why was that? Because they didn't look to leaders. It's a problem. So it says here, and they who have opposed will receive what's it say? Condemnation upon themselves. Or the word can be translated, crema in the Greek is the idea of judgment. If you disobey the authorities of which God has orchestrated all of history, even on a local level, in order to place them in that position because those are the men and women that he chose for those jobs. You have done nothing but invited judgment. Not just on a local, state level, city level, but from God. You've invited his hand to be against you. Verse 3, let's see if we can pull some encouraging things forward, right? For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Yes? I mean, isn't that the whole reason why we need the checks and the balances and the boundaries set in place? It's the whole idea of my capacity to commit evil is probably even greater than what I'm willing to admit because God knows this. He has put people in place to restrain me of the extents that I could go. So notice what he says. Rulers are not a cause for fear against good behavior. But for what? Which tells me that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands that any given society has ingrained within each and every person that makes up that society an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Does everybody see that? Regardless if you believe in God or not, You know what is right and what is wrong, period. Therefore, because there is a right and wrong that we have ingrained in us, there is an accountability to do that which is right. So we have no need to fear any of our civil servants whatsoever if we're abiding by that which we know is good. Why? Because they are here to deal with evil. That's what they're here for. Notice it says here, Do you want to have no fear of authority? Now, that's a good question. Church, what do we think? Do you want to have no fear from authority? Right, so you click your pen and you write, yes! Go ahead and write it in. Paul's asking the question, you answer it. Nobody wants to walk around, live their life and where they live, constantly cowering for the threat of something coming over them. So yes, we want to be free of that. But notice what it says here. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. How do I solve this? Do good stuff. That's what Paul's saying. You know what's good? Do it! And if there's something keeping you from doing those good things in your life that abide by the laws and the procedures that have been put forward by those placed in authority by the ordinance of God over us to govern our specific civilization right here now in history then get everything else out of the way that you need to to position yourself in a way that will abide by that. God's trying to set us up to do good. Why don't we set ourselves up to do good? Why do we need to fear? Because there's judgment. Verse 4, for it is a minister of God to you for good. Our rulers, our governing authorities, get the word, guys, our ministers. It's the same Greek word where the word deacons come from. They are ministers of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, what does it say? Be afraid. You've got every reason. Have you ever noticed that you have a conscience? Anybody want to guess who designed it? God did. So when it comes down to this idea of in second grade, I think I'll steal that pencil from that person because it's all shiny and cool and mine's all dull and yellow and just says two on it. And you want the cool pencil with the cool race car eraser? Anybody remember those? And so our little hearts are conceiving a plan in order to steal. And there's something inside of us that says, don't do it. That's your conscience testifying to you of right and wrong. And when we steal the pencil and we're trying to hide it so that no one finds out, we are operating in darkness because what we have done wrong cannot be brought to the light and we are afraid. Why? Because on a small scale, it's evil. Because we're in the midst of evil. So look what he goes on to say here. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For, here's the connection, it does not bear the what? Sword for nothing. These men and women have not been given the right to use lethal force for no reason. They've been given the right to use it. When there is an evil situation and they have to make that assessment, they have the right to shoot in order to stop evil. God has given them that right. They do not bear the sword for nothing. Here's the reason why. Look what it says. Four. here's another explanation. It is a what? It is a minister of God. Lethal force in restraining evil is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I don't know about you, but that's a great responsibility I don't ever want in my life the authority and the ability to use lethal force, but having to make the decision of when to use it. Because obviously there needs to be a judgment call, yes? There has to be an assessment of a situation, sorting through all the facts that you possibly can, and making a split-moment decision. By pulling my gun and pulling the trigger, I could take this life right now. Is it worth it? Am I assessing it correctly? Because it's judgment that is being meted out. It all fits together. In the short time that I've been here, I've done four funerals. Two of those are from drugs. One was a 23-year-old girl that had a little boy, and she overdosed on heroin. It's a sad situation let me ask you a question. Was what she was doing evil? Was taking heroin evil? Do we have laws against it? Yeah, we do. Do you think that she knew what was right and wrong about that situation? But do you think that maybe another truth came in, an opinion, a view that she wanted to promote that allowed her to do more than what the law allowed her to do? Yes? Sin ends in what? death death is a sign of judgment see god's not playing with this idea he's not it's very serious it reaches much further beyond what you and i think is right and wrong in fact i would go as far as to say that you and i don't know how to think clearly and that's the whole reason why we have the word of god because sin wrong has tainted our very being to where we can't see situations clearly And so since we have 66 books, a library here that contains God's opinion about the matter because he is the designer of all things, he wants us to know what that is. Why? So that we operate within the bounds of good and not face those types of consequences. Let's move on. Notice that the sword is a minister. It's an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Verse five, therefore, it is necessary it is necessary to be in subjection in other words going back to the same idea that we saw in verse 1 every person is to be in subjection it is necessary church to be in subjection not only because of wrath not only because of the possibility of lethal force coming against evil but look what it says also but also for conscience sake so that you can live at peace because you can live at personal peace You may have had somebody that's done something evil and nobody's on the verge of finding out, but at some point it bubbles over because the person can't handle the stress anymore, right? I mean, don't you guys have little rooms with little tables? You guys ever bad cop, good cop on somebody? You ever done that? I like to hear some stories sometimes, but think about it. And eventually somebody cracks. Why? The conscience was too much. Truth prevails in the end. No sin goes unnoticed. God deals with it. So he says here, verse 6, everybody hold on to the seat in front of you, right? For because of this, you also pay taxes. And the church should pay their taxes joyfully, thankfully. Why is that? Because it funds the salaries, the homes, the families of the very people who are spending time away from those homes and families to take care of you and me, to restrain evil, to set boundaries, and to use force, if necessary, to keep anything worse from happening. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. No, it's not. I just went through the academy, and this is something I want to do with my life. I thought it'd be a good career opportunity, and so here I am. Nope, servant of God. That may be your perspective of it, but guess what? God had greater plans. You're a servant. And notice, devoting themselves, being constant, being steadfast is the idea, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom tax is due custom to whom custom is due you might say what in the world is that it's taxes on goods it's like the idea of paying a toll. when you get into illinois and you got to pay that toll pay that toll support those people be glad about it you didn't need that dollar ninety you're okay god's going to take care of you a dollar ninety breaks you then you're tight calm down man pray about it fear to whom fear is due why because let's be honest we should fear our authorities They've been placed by God above us. Therefore, we render respect and awe for them. But honor, to whom honor? To whom honor is due. Honor them. Thank them. Appreciate them. Then verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to what? Love one another. Why, Paul? Why should we do that? Here's the reason why. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If Christians should be known for anything, they should be known for their love. We have a great God who loves us. In fact, isn't that what John 3.16 says? That's how it starts. What motivated this whole thing about needing to save evil and sinful people? Well, God loves you. That's where it starts. It starts with the fact that God's love is the motivating factor. And what does that love do? Well, number one, that love costs God. Why is that? Because he gave his son. The greatest thing that he has, he gives him fully and freely for undeserving people. Why is this? Because sin has to be dealt with. And while we have a situation with our civil authorities where it is being restrained, It is being brought to justice. We are being given boundaries in order to operate and to live and to be free and to move and have our being in. It's also things that happen on an eternal level that needs an eternal solution. Sin isn't just in the here and now. Sin is an eternal matter that has to be dealt with. And God dealt with sin just like today. Our emergency workers have to deal with sin. He had to institute lethal force. Why? Because the blood is the what? What did we read earlier? The what? The life. And what is the gospel? The gospel is because sin has separated us from our creator. God gave Jesus's life as a payment to restore you into right standing with him. See, this is why the gospel has to be free of works. Because somehow I would get confused in my mind thinking that my hands who want to do wrong and my eyes that want to look at those things that are wrong and my ears that want to hear those things that I should not hear and my heart that wants to sinfully dabble and go down a direction that it should never be in has also fooled myself of thinking that somehow I can make that restoration with God. I just need to be a better person. I just need to try harder. Well, I just need to think differently. Well, I just need to get in this rehab program so I'm not going in that direction anymore. Guys, it's not a behavior problem. A behavior problem is simply an extension of a heart problem. The reason why we need this lethal force and this governance and oversight on our society is because we have wicked, desperate hearts. This is simply the manifestation of what's here, deeply entrenched. It's no different from God's eyes. In fact... All of our emergency workers are nothing but an extension of what God has done in an eternal matter. And that is, sin is the problem, and it needs a solution. It has to be dealt with. It's going to cost people their lives if it's not dealt with. And so, even though God is not obligated, He gives Jesus. And here's the amazing thing the death of Jesus doesn't just forgive sin. That's huge. Would you agree that's huge? okay, I want to make sure. I'm definitely not in a Baptist church this morning because I didn't hear, amen, praise praise God. So everybody can get a little charismatic. It's okay, it's not going to kill you. (laughs) I knew to expect it out of you, brother, so that's good. But here's the thing. We're forgiven of sin, and that's beautiful. But do you know that at the cross you were also forgiven of Guilt. See, we often think of sin of what's going on out here, but let's be honest, we all know that guilt goes on right here, and guilt goes on right here. And guilt cripples people. It destroys them. Do you realize that on the cross, when Jesus died, his blood didn't just pay for sin but the fact that he is resurrected from the dead promises those who believe that they have a new life, a different life in which to live and operate. And it is a life that is free of bondage. What is that bondage? Guilt! Because that's Satan's favorite tool! And he digs it up often and he throws it in our faces and he tries to shackle you and I to the ground. Why? So that we will be ineffective in abiding by the good so it will serve as a blazing testimony to everyone around us about the difference that God has made in our lives. Now, he didn't just relieve guilt. He also gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. In fact, the Bible calls it a deposit, which a deposit's always a good thing to have in the bank, right? Right? When you run out of money, you just go to the bank and pull out your deposit. It's a guarantee of greater things to come later. Well, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. In fact, the Holy Spirit not only does that, it says it seals us for the day of redemption. Think of the strongest Ziploc bag you have in your pantry. That's what the Holy Spirit did. He took that blue and yellow and green, right, for eternity. In other words, once you have salvation, you can't lose it. Why? Because your works didn't earn it. Your works can't cost it from you. And God sealed it in a manner different from yourself. He sealed it with himself, the Holy Spirit. But there's something even greater than that. God freely gave you the gift of eternal life. Life forever with him. Forever. Forever life. Does everybody realize eternal life, everlasting life is forever? Forever. Now I don't know about you, but I look at these things and I think, okay, sin's taken care of, guilt's taken care of, promised Holy Spirit, eternal life, and I'm sitting here looking at these four things, and I'm thinking, wait a second, I don't deserve any of this. Do you? Some of you aren't sure. If that's the case, we got a pride problem, right? Do you deserve any of those things? So why did God give them to you? Grace. God's grace is his undeserved favor on a people who are infinitely ill-deserving. We will never deserve what he gives us, and yet he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. We have every reason to be thankful and grateful. And when we have simple commands by Paul of something as, let me show you the eternal perspective that God has about why the people that govern over you are the ones who govern over you. I promise you this, life becomes a lot easier to live when you see it from God's perspective. He is a gracious God, not only saving us, but protecting us taking care of us, giving people to serve us, to restrain evil, to deal with it decisively, to actually manifest a sense of what justice is supposed to look like. Is it always done perfectly? No. But we are way too easy to become critics more than we are to say thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is clear in the necessity of restraining evil and in the gracious calling that you have given on these men and women's lives to participate in an exhausting task with great weight upon their shoulders. But Father, you have given grace in this matter. And it is a small extension of what you have done on a much larger scale in relation to to our sin. And so, Father, we thank you foremost for that. But we also thank you for these men and women. We are undeserving. We are incomplete. We are deeply fractured. And yet you see past all those things and still love us to the uttermost. Father, I pray that our hearts are appreciative for these ministers of God placed by him at this particular time in history for this purpose, with this calling. And may we be in subjection to them, paying our taxes joyfully, honoring them, fearing them, thanking them. Father, this is not something that comes naturally because our hearts want to do evil. But we know, Father, with the indwelling spirit and the truthfulness of your word, you can position us in humbling ourselves to consider them better than us. Thank you, Father, for that Christ-infused opportunity. We pray it in Jesus' name.